Today's podcast is sponsored by Thomas Stroud and his team with PNC Healthcare Banking. Thomas Stroud specializes in healthcare banking. That's all he does because working exclusively with healthcare providers gives him insight into the healthcare industry to provide you with a broad range of financing options tailored to the industry and can be specific to your practice. Because they understand healthcare, they know how to do the little things. For example, they can help make your revenue cycle as efficient as possible. And of course, we all know how important compliance and security are in healthcare. Thomas Stroud and his team at PNC Healthcare Banking understand the importance of data security. They have leading security protocols and they're well-versed in HIPAA. Thomas Stroud doesn't look at you as a quick one-time loan. No, he and his team strive to be your long-term partner in a success. They're reliable and they're knowledgeable. Contact them today to schedule a consultation. Hi everybody, I'm Steve Spencer. I'm the founder of the Birmingham Medical News. We, since 2004, we've been providing the Alabama healthcare community with all sorts of information on healthcare. This podcast is not only for healthcare professionals, but also for uh, regular folks, whether you're an insurance salesman, a lawyer, or a carpenter. And uh, hopefully you'll learn some things about healthcare conditions that you might be worried about or you may just want to learn about. Hey, we want to really thank Kasuf & Company. Kasuf & Company is our partner in this podcast. They are a 90-year-old CPA firm founded in Birmingham. We are actually doing this from their studio. It's a first-class studio, and the maestro is right here with me, Russ Dorsey. It's the highlight of my week, Steve, being <laughs> down here with you for sure. There you go. And Russ, I understand that y'all have a big healthcare practice. We do have over 50 uh, CPAs and healthcare consultants in, in that group, been doing it 40 years, so we are one of the leading and in, in pioneering in that. But also, you know, to call out the other services that we have here between the wealth management, financial planning, um, retirement plans. Well, I know y'all also do trust and estate management, advisory services. Um, you guys stay pretty busy, don't you? Yeah, and we actually do tax returns, too. So, oh, my yeah, gosh. At the end of the day. A CPA firm that does tax returns. <laughs> so, who would have thunk it? No, we, we are, we're glad to be partnered with uh, Birmingham Medical News on this. And, again, it is a highlight of my week. So, and, and one last thing now. I can't let you go here without giving you a little props on this. Kasuf is was nationally recognized as a best firm to work with. The work for, I'm sorry. So do you find that to be true? Uh, best firm, and actually recognized year after year on that one. Uh, we're a top 300 firm uh, nationally. Uh, and yeah, it's a, a really great place to be. Okay, so today we're talking with Dr. Roger Smoligan. Uh, he is the Associate Dean of the UAB Huntsville campus, and he is working with the All of Us Research Program, which is an amazing, really interesting program. I think you're going you're gonna to find this really interesting. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Smalligan, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. Well, thank you, Steve, for having me on today. This is uh, a privilege. And uh, yeah, basically, I'm, I'm uh, a product of Johns Hopkins Medical School and then trained in med internal medicine and pediatrics to the MedPeach program at Vanderbilt and have always stayed pretty much in, in the general medicine field, but had got interested in, in international health as well. But I've really been pretty involved with this all of us 
uh, genetic research program now for the past six years. I'm the site PI up here in Huntsville for the All of Us program, uh, which is, you know, this NIH funded research program that we're going to talk about today. And so I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to uh, to share that with you. Well, you you know, I I knew only a little bit about the program until we talked on the phone the other day, and I, I think it's really interesting. Um, so I guess we'll start with, what, well, tell everybody what the program actually is. Yeah, so I think it was I think it was the brainchild of a number of of world renowned geneticists and mm-hmm. data scientists, and I think as they as they talked about it, the idea came up, what if we were to take, uh, create a database that would be available to researchers all over the world uh, and give them something so large and so detailed and so powerful that, that they could really look for you know, new treatments, new diagnoses, uh, new approaches to medicine in, in an effort to get to the, this idea of precision medicine or personalized medicine. And uh, so the, the idea came up, let's recruit 1 million people in the United States of all backgrounds, especially working to make it a very diverse group, maybe groups that have previously been underrepresented in, underrepresented in medical research, recruit this diverse group of 1 million people, ask them to, to be participants over a 10 year period and ask them to give us access to their medical records, have them give blood, urine, measurements, blood pressure, et cetera, all kinds of data that would be, of course, very carefully protected and put this all in a de-identified database and then allow researchers to use the human genome of this 1 million people combined with their medical record. Imagine, you know, the list of medicines that they're on, their diseases, their disease processes that are known. And you know, and even be able to follow their responses to different medicines. Uh, you could actually go to that level of detail. So you've got the human genome, you've got the medical record, and you've got also you you ask them to fill out surveys as we go along about lifestyle, about environment, about family history. All of these types of things get fed into this massive database, the all of us, all of us database, Mm. and then allow researchers to to dream and to, you know, if they meet criteria to access the data, the de-identified database to begin to do projects. And, and it, it's really been exciting to see this roll out um, as we're doing right now. You, you mentioned um, how they may respond to various drugs. So let's just take, for example, since it's over a 10-year period, suppose somebody, I don't, so they take a drug for a specific condition. So how would that work? I assume with their medical records, it's just going to show how they respond and you would... Well, you know, once we get... Access, uh, you know, there are so many, every, many major hospitals now have mm-hmm. the electronic medical record. Okay. Um, as I, so, for example, let's take me. I'm, okay. a, I'm a patient right here at UAB Huntsville campus. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I come to the doctor here, they take my blood pressure, they take my weight, mm-hmm. um, you know, my history is updated. When I start a new medicine, et cetera, this is all put into the computer. Okay. So this level of data is now continuously every month we're feeding that level of data on everyone who has signed up to be a participant. Okay. I was participant number one in Huntsville, Alabama, oh, that's great. Uh, of this project. Uh-huh. That's great. So I thought as the site PI here, I should uh, show my commitment and uh, become a member. So anyway, that's the uh-huh. level of data that you're getting on the, okay. on the patient's 
So they're going to know my blood pressure and okay, they see, okay. well, you know, the computer, you could say, well, he started, let's say amlodipine, you know, mm -hmm. uh, two months ago. Mm -hmm. Here he is. Three months later, we have some more data. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we're, we're we we are able to we would not do it to that level probably at this moment. But this is the dream. And this yeah. is what's when you get this database completely flushed out, fleshed out and filled. We're at six hundred and forty thousand consented people right now. We're going for one million. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I want to go back to your point okay. about uh, taking a particular medicine because I have in front of me here a um, an article from JAMA from two months ago in April of 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great example of what is going to be able to be looked into in the future. Okay. And this was a study um, where the, somebody had the idea, you know, how, how much different do individuals respond to particular classes of antihypertensives? Obviously, that's a huge risk factor for stroke, for heart attack, as everyone listening to this podcast knows. So what they did in this study in, in JAMA um, was they gave participants for an entire month. These were new people with new diagnoses of mild to moderate high blood pressure. And they gave them uh, the first month, they gave them a diuretic. And then they followed the blood pressure with ambulatory blood pressures. And they saw how, how well that did. Then they did a calcium channel blocker. I've already mentioned amlodipine. Then they did an ACE inhibitor for a month. Then they did, I think it was two months. Then they did two months of an ARB. And what was very interesting was that the same individual had markedly different responses to, to these four medications across the entire, it was, it was a small study, 300 people, but roughly. But it's, uh, it's fascinating to see, and then their whole point is, this is individualized or precision medicine. Mm. If we can sort this out and figure out and see with the All of Us program, we hope to have enough data to, to determine things like this so that when I go to the doctor in the future and I have high blood pressure, they don't just do what we do now, which is pick a one of these medicines and try it. See and then works. when you come back, we see yeah. how, how well it worked. Yeah. No, we're going to say, hey, you know what? Based on your genome okay. and based on the, the what we've found among other people like you mm -hmm. and your genetic makeup, who they do really, really well with a calcium channel blocker or they do really well with an ACE, or they do really well with an ARB, and make it very individualized. Yeah, that's interesting. So it'll be really specific. Um, yeah, that's neat. I'm just kind of thinking it through. So you got a million people, and let's say, I don't know, let's say 50,000 of those people, as you said, have a high blood pressure. So you'll be able to look at those genomes, and you might find, well, gosh, 90% of the people with this specific genome do really well with this drug. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. That's great. What what kind of um, disease states will you see it working with? I mean, I, I guess. Well, you know that you've you've that's a good segue into you know what can the participants expect to receive okay. um, up front from this program, mm -hmm. and you know aside from their twenty five dollar gift card, which is included if they sign up. Yeah. Um, beyond that, they get an incredible report on they get to find out some about their um their ancestry oh wow it's not i've received mine you know from this program and it's uh, uh. it's not super precise but they put on a map roughly where my ancestors are from okay which i found interesting yeah um then you also get some reports on uh different physical characteristics or traits that are you're likely to have, uh, you know, based on your genome, which they have run. Mm -hmm. uh, the probably the one of the most useful and a huge savings to individuals mm -hmm. is that we run 
the entire list of what we call actionable genes on every participant. Okay. So there, this is it's currently as at about close to sixty okay. uh, different genes that we're going to look for that we know are highly associated with risk for a particular condition. Mm -hmm. So what you know, maybe one of the most common ones you're going to everybody's going to think about is the BRCA one or BRCA one. Mm -hmm. Uh, or BR BRCA2, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's part of, that's included in this testing. So they'll test for that. They'll test for, you know, all kinds. Think of any any known genetic, any known disorder that has a, a true genetic component to it. Mm -hmm. You know, familial hypercholesterolemia, you know, familial uh, polyposis. Uh, just there's, again, there's 60 of them. Mm -hmm. And the good thing is you will get a report and you will be told and you can decide to receive this information or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you'll be told that uh, you have this gene. This puts you at risk for this. If you would like to talk to a genetics counselor, here's how we go about that. So we, this project is very well organized and very well set up to uh, to help people if they do if they are found to have a genetic risk for a disease. Okay. Okay. And, and now the program you, you said has been going six years, and you're following people for ten years. Um, when will some of these things be put into action, or are they now? Uh, the, as much as I have described to you is already happening. Okay. Okay. Um, including uh, to the point that we are now releasing the the database to qualified researchers. And uh, if you're a physician or mm. or a, a person, a, sci a, a scientist who's listening mm. to this, mm. um, there are ways to to gain access right now, and okay. they okay. take you through some basic training mm. of how to access the database. And I think you have to maybe you have to show your credentials, you know, by the appropriate manner. But you can do that. And this is already happening. So, for example, uh, G6PD deficiency has typically, I think, genetics uh, research is focused on a particular gene. Mm -hmm. And we could test for that and say you have a, a risk for, a, you know, for those of, who don't know that, you know, can lead to severe anemia mm -hmm. and, and fatigue and et cetera, a number of symptoms. And you really want to know if you have G6PD deficiency. Mm -hmm. Uh, certain medications need to be avoided. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, through this, researchers have gotten and used our database. Mm -hmm. I'm calling it ours. That's in a very loose sense of the term. Um, they've used the database to look at G6PD in particular. They have found 118 variants of the G6PD genetic defect that we thought was the main cause of G6PD, of that whole syndrome. Uh, but now we know there are, there are, they found 118 new variations that are also important in, uh, in finding people who are at risk for this disease. Is it the same gene? Is that right? Yes. Wow. Okay. That, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Any, any other ways you, you see researchers, I'm sure there's all kind of trails that could go down. Researchers right. using well, this? Well, you know, I think some of the, you know, the, the ones that are on all of our minds uh, right mm -hmm. now, are, uh, you know, the the neurodegenerative diseases, you know, as as I age and we all age, um, you know, we all worry about dementia. We worry about Alzheimer's uh, disease. Um, these are things that now imagine the power of of the genetic, you know, are there are we going to discover, you know, genetic precursors? Um, we know a lot about those diseases already, and there's an incredible amount of research going on. Unfortunately, thus far, the, a lot of the medications have not been as impactful as we as we have hoped, uh, despite the release of new medications. You know, that's uh, it's kind of debatable the the true impact that those are having clinically on people. But that's 
those that's a that's a condition we really want to know more about. We want to know how can we find it earlier. You know, if we can find a genetic predisposition and then find a medication, I think everything we're trying right now, uh, I think most leaders in that field uh, believe that we're starting, we're we're getting in the game too late. You know, if, if people, okay. almost every drug that we have right now for dementia or Alzheimer's uh, is only indicated when they're in the moderate, which is pretty far, far mm -hmm. advanced, sure. the moderate phase. You know, what we don't want to, we don't want to be there. We want to, yeah. we want to catch this before they're to that point. If we can find something that can change the course of the disease uh -huh, uh -huh. based on the genome or maybe genome plus environment, genome plus previous medication exposure, who knows what the answer is going to be. Right. So anyway, that's yeah. that's one. I mean, think of the, how common uh, you said, you know, hypertension. I mean, it's mm -hmm. extremely common. Yeah. Diabetes, yeah. you know, what, 30 is some incredible number of, of you know, it's, I think it's 20% of the population, 10 to 20% of the population. I'm, I don't have it on top of my head, mm -hmm. you know, have diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, think of the obesity epidemic. Right. And then think about environment. Think about genes. Think about lifestyle. These are all of the things that are being fed into. This is the type of information being fed into the all of us database. You know, I'm glad you mentioned environment. I was thinking about that because I know that I've seen and please correct me because I'm, I'm, you know, a, a regular, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a researcher, but, but I think I've, I, isn't it, isn't it true that there's some questions over like with, with aging and various diseases that, that, that happen as we age over how much is the genome and how much is the epigenome? Absolutely. I was reading another article today yeah. where, um, there's some concern that in, um, uh, in certain populations, and that's who are, we are recruiting to this. We're recruiting a diverse population, but there's some concern that the so what we're calling the social determinants of health may have an even greater impact on the risk of stroke for people, for participants, for well, people in the United States. That may be even a more important. Their social determinants of health. So they're they're you know, situation, their living situation. Are they living in poverty? Do they have access to healthcare? Do they have access to medication? Do they have access to physicians and, you know, et cetera. Um, and to transportation, you know, all of these things to a, to a healthy diet, you know, imagine the impact of a healthy diet. We all know the dash, the big, uh, the, the best results coming out for, for both hypertension and, and heart disease prevention, et cetera, I think is leaning towards the dash oh, diet, you know, where you have a lower salt and, yeah, over a healthier diet, but you know that takes money to buy the right foods, they, and you have to be where they're available. You know, we have yeah. things called, uh, you know, food deserts. Exactly. In the, in I our... mean, some areas it's just not available. And you right. know, did you see? Gosh, it must have been twenty years ago. A guy did the uh, um, documentary "Supersize Me." Did you see that? I did. Yes, you know, incredible. Oh my gosh, after a month, he was sick. I think he had to be hospitalized. I think you're right. Yeah. I so, I mean, I think diet is huge. And and now I'm kind of just getting on my own soapbox. I think so many folks in America really don't eat a good diet. And, and you know, there's so many. And, the other, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off into the, you know, environmental epigenetic stuff. But, but um, you know, we're learning that even things like loneliness and stress affect all that. Absolutely. And, you know, that that's, that's a good point. And this project is because it's an ongoing project and because we encourage ongoing engagement of the participants in the study, 
even though there's not ongoing financial support to the person in the study, we want them to realize they're investing in, in their children's and their grandchildren's future to, to find, you know, new answers for them. And you bring up the whole loneliness and, uh, and that kind of thing. And that may, that reminded me that when we got into COVID, this, the study leaders said, we need to send out some surveys to our participants and ask them how they're doing, ask them what kind of stress they're under, ask them if they've had a pay cut, if they've lost their job, if they worry about their health, if if they've had family members die of COVID. You know, all of these kinds of things have now been collected and can also be things that are, are you know, introduced into studies going forward. And we have, imagine, we have the blood we know the stress hormones that were present in the blood. We all, I, I, to be honest, I don't know exactly how much of the serum is saved on each, on each mm-hmm. participant for future mm-hmm. look backs. Is, that, hoping, is the only blood test at the beginning? Would somebody take, you know, blood at, tests over that's the That's a great, years? great question. And that um, is being addressed right now. Okay. Um, this study is, I think is being developed as we go along. Mm-hmm. And we started out with one blood draw, but I signed up last week for our site uh the you know the NIH Bethesda group reached out to all of us in the uh, in the in the country who are in the program here and and said who of you have the capacity and are prepared and ready to begin to gather samples again so that we can have that comparator can opportunity to compare results five years later because I like I said I joined about yeah. five years ago. Yeah and it'd be really interesting to have taken the people you know, their initial blood test and right after COVID taking it, you know, when you had that stress and loneliness, you probably yes. have seen a lot of changes then. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's yeah. another thing. Things are happening all the time. Uh, my parents are 89 years old. They're in the study. Okay. Oh, wow. And okay. they uh, showed me their phones the other day and they said, hey, look what we're being invited to from all of us. Uh-huh. Well, all of us reached out to them uh, uh-huh. last week and said, we want to give you a Fitbit because we're interested in how active you are, how many steps a day you're getting. And uh, if you'd like to participate, we would love to send you this device and, and help you know how to use it. And, and that data will be synced to the entire database. And so that's being rolled out right now. Other things will be offered to those who participate. For example, another a joint project just got rolled out by the NIH, which is open to all of us participants. Um, and this is to specifically to look at the impact of diet. It's a nutrition, it's a nutri- nutrition study that's that's being rolled out jointly with this All of Us program, which I think is going to be fascinating. Well, will you just self-report your diet or what, what will they do? You know, it's actually, this one actually comes with a fair amount of, of uh, financial support to the participant because no, they're going to actually send you uh, your diet. I understand for specific meals for short periods wow. of time. Oh my gosh. Okay. They're going to say, we want you to drink this protein drink for breakfast. Okay. And then we want you to drink two of them, you know, at lunch. I don't know exactly how it works, mm-hmm. but it's, I know that there are specific food products so that we know exactly what the person's putting in their body. That is neat. Asking them to sign up and say, we will abide by this. And mm-hmm. then when they do so, and th- those folks are going to have more visits to be able to draw blood and, mm-hmm. and see how they respond After, to these different yeah. loads of protein and yeah. carbohydrates, that kind of thing. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, very interesting, especially folks that may have been, as you say, in a food desert, who, who you know, if you change that diet, see if you see some good results, that'd be really neat. 
Absolutely. You know, I'm so sorry that I didn't, because I didn't realize we'd be talking about diet. There was a, oh boy, I wish I, it was a press release I got about three weeks ago from UAB. And it was a study, I'm sorry, because I don't remember the details, but they had done a study, I think it was with women, and they had given them a specific, not only diet, but, but some, like I remember one of the things they, they wanted to do was drink peanut oil every day. Uh, ah. Yeah, it was specific, not only diet, but a couple of supplements. And they tested them. And I think that they were testing to see how it affected their health. And I think it went pretty well. But anyway, yeah. that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, yes. And uh, the diet. Oh, and the Fitbit. I love that. They can get so much information off a of Fitbit. Yes. I mean, I guess they'll get, I mean, obviously how many steps you take, but they'd also get something about your sleep cycle, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Oh, I think sleep will be analyzed. And, you know, there's a lot of data now. They're saying, you yeah. know, I see, I haven't read this particular scientific article yet, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing headlines like you've alluded to, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, they're believing that we believe that sleep, we know that sleep apnea has a huge impact on health, oh, you I know, as so, yeah. blood pressure and blood sugar control. And, yeah. and, you know, and even I think, you know, how you feel during the day and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, but even just general sleep habits, we we believe are are having a real impact on people's health and their outcomes. And you're right when they you put a Fitbit on folks and they agree to share it, you know, in this very carefully controlled database that actually the data is, if I'm not mistaken, is managed through the cybersecurity experts at, at, at it happens to be being managed, I believe, at Vanderbilt University. But regardless, uh, it's being highly and it's de-identified. Uh, but obviously, in the background, we have enough connections to know that whose Fitbit goes to who. But at the same time, when you're connecting their genome, their original blood draw, and, and you know, with all the information you're getting on Fitbit, sleep, steps, I'm sure yes. so much more. Does the Fitbit, does it give you blood pressure? I'm not sure if it does. It does not do blood pressure, okay. but it. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure it may not, by now it may be able to give heart rate. I'm not oh, sure about that. Yeah, so that'll be fantastic information. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I'm sure you know this. I've read that you mentioned, uh, obviously, lack of sleep or, or bad sleep, like sleep, yes. is, is, but I've read that some people think that even just your circadian rhythm, you know, we know if we stay, even if you get eight hours, there's a difference between getting eight hours from nine to five or so versus one in the morning till eight. You know? Right. So um, I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah, so, I think there's a there's a truly a world of uh, of information out there that is just waiting to be analyzed. And yeah. as, as researchers dream up their next question. You know, give me the give me like you pointed out the, the give me the the, the hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand people with diabetes. Mm. You know, of uh, and you can say maybe you think that their starting weight has something to do with it. You want yeah. to take those who weigh between this and this. And I mean, for, you can really pick out your subgroup that you want to study. And and it, and I know there won't be everybody, but the folks who also have done the Fitbit, you may can look at diabetes, starting mm-hmm. weight, sleep. You know. I mean, I think yeah. that's fantastic. And I guess, and you basically just said that, the studies can be almost anything somebody, I mean, I'm, anything somebody thinks of, whatever exactly. a, a researcher dreams up. You know, exactly. you're, you're going to have all the data they can ever, you know, imagine. Correct. So, do you have any any thoughts on what kind of, where it may go with some of the studies? Um. 
you know, I think it really is, as you as you alluded to, it's just almost it's really truly endless. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and maybe AI. I, I wouldn't be surprised oh, if we're not going to use AI to help us explore new new thoughts and new correlations and uh, yeah. find new correlations. When you put this this amount of data, mm-hmm. put feed it into an AI system, and uh, I think it, that could truly facilitate some some new findings as well. I didn't think about that until you just mentioned, but AI will be huge in this. Wow, really interesting. Any yeah. fi- any final thoughts or anything that we haven't yeah, talked I, about? That we I really want to. I want to invite everybody who's listening to join join the program. By the way, you and I, I were talking on the phone the other day, and I told you I want to do it. Yeah, and so, be a be a part of it. Yeah, it's, I'm going uh, to. It's fun to be yeah. a part of. It's yeah. it is a large government program. You know how those may be a little bit more slow moving sometimes than uh, yeah. than the commercial product, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's still an incredibly valuable, I think, contribution to science. And I think those of us who are involved in medicine, science, or just if you're not, uh, you know, contribute to to new findings for yourself, for your kids, for your grandkids. It's real easy. You go to the go to the go to the web and just type in joinallofus.org. And if you put slash southern, that puts you right in our neighborhood. Okay. And okay. it'll show you here's the six places around UAB, Kirkland Clinic and mm-hmm. you know, the Callahan Eye and Okay. Uh, okay. You know, various places that uh, name any major UAB setting in Birmingham mm. and you can go there. You can actually do a lot of the data entry by downloading the app. When you go to joinallofus.org mm-hmm. slash southern, mm-hmm. uh, you can download the app and input and answer a lot of the questions and give your consent for this project. Uh, I, I helped a person through it, I think, in 10 or 15 minutes the other okay. day. Okay. And then they'll that will feed your number to whatever site you tell them. I want to go to Kirkland Clinic or I want to go to wherever where you can go and then spend hopefully 15 to 30 minutes just getting your blood drawn, your height, your weight, give a urine sample. And uh, you're done. They hand you your $25 gift card and you get to go spend. Okay. Well, like I said, when you and I talk, I thought it'd be great just to be able to do it and not be charged for, for doing my genome. I thought that was good enough. Right. Now, do be patient. I'm not sure exactly what at this moment, what the turnaround time is. You know, once after you give your blood, um, it may be, I'm guessing, to be honest, it may be a few months before it comes back because it'll go through all this de-identification and sent to the right lab for for processing. And uh, but it it does come back. I can I can testify to that. (laughs) Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time. I think it's really interesting. Like I said, I'm going to do it, too. Well, wonderful. We'd love to have you. And I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share about this, uh, this All of Us research program today. No, thank you. Thank you.